Listen as I read Mark 10:45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Now go to John 13. You might already be there. And this one I want you to read out loud with me. John 13 and uh, verse number 5. Give you a second to turn there. Serving others. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Serving others is one of the biggest themes or underlying themes of the Bible. That's what Jesus' life encompassed, giving. Uh, most famous verse in the Bible, one of the most famous verses has that word give in it. Uh, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave. Uh, that is the theme of, of serving, giving. There's a story in the Bible where we read about Jesus humbly serving his disciples by washing their feet. Look at verse number five there. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you bless the reading of your word. I pray that you would speak through me today, Lord. Help me to not be a hindrance to your message. I pray that you would use your word in a mighty way in our hearts and through our lives. I pray that you would change us where we need to be changed, that we would submit to you today. Help us to have that kind of a heart and spirit in this place. Thank you so much for your people that we can uh, minister alongside and with and to. I do thank you for this church. I pray that you would bless. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Foot washing. There are, did you know this? There are foot washing Baptists. Did you know that? How many of you knew that? Raise your hand. There are foot washing Baptists. You might be saying, are we that kind of a Baptist church? No, we're not uh, foot washing Baptists, but there are some churches that take this very literally by literally washing people's feet. And I don't think there's anything inherently sinful about that at all. But we should at the very least implement the principles that are being taught by Jesus here. Uh, foot washing was a common practice in the time of Jesus. Generally, there would be by the door a basin, as we read here in verse 5, of water. And if you were receiving guests into your home, the first thing they would do would be to slip off their sandals and step inside the threshold of your house. And if you had a servant, that servant would be there with a towel in the basin, and they would wash the feet of your, your house guests. Now, some of you might have a rule at your house where you don't wear the shoes inside. We, don't, we haven't implemented that yet. We have hardwood floors, so it's not the same maybe as having carpet uh, where you would take, maybe take your shoes off. Please keep your socks on, I guess, you know, all those types of things. But, uh, you know, some of you say, no, absolutely no shoes in my house. And um, we all have our different um, 
preferences, but you think about it in the time of Jesus when you would walk down the street, if you would, or the road, uh, there was no pavement. Um, in most situations, they were walking on dusty and dirty roads. And as they did that, their feet, their sandals, and their feet would become very dusty and dirty. And that person at the door, the servant, would wash the feet of the guests. Foot washing was a practical thing, but it was also a mark of good hospitality. You wanted to take care of your guests. You didn't want them to uh, track dirt into your home, but more importantly, you wanted them them to feel comfortable coming into your home. This story that Jesus, uh, we read about Jesus here, this story is so important because it shows that even Jesus humbles himself and puts others' needs before his own. If even Jesus, who is the greatest, greater than anybody in all the earth, if he can practice selflessness in the most humiliating of ways, then we should too. Look at verse number 14. You're in John 13, I believe, still. And verse 14, if you don't have it, turn there if you could, and we can see this. This is the continuation of the story, and Jesus gives some explanation here. In verse 14, we read Jesus saying, If I then, your Lord and Master... Isn't that what I was saying? This is, the, this is our Lord and Master. And Jesus said, If I'm your Lord and Master, if I have washed your feet... Ye also ought to wash one another. Read it again. Let's read it again. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. That's another one of those one another commands, isn't it? Love one another, forgive one another, wash one another's feet. I'm saying, Pastor, I don't know if I really want to wash somebody's feet dirty feet but there are other ways for sure that we can be humble and serve one another amen he says there in verse number 15 for i have given you an example that ye should do as i have done to you this was their culture this is what they did they washed one another's feet there are definitely applications in our american culture aren't there Verse 16, verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. He's saying, you're not better than me. And if I washed your feet, you absolutely should be washing other people, other people's feet. Verse 17, if ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. You know, some of the most unhappy people that we encounter are not the lost, but rather the the believer, the born-again Christian who knows what to do but is not doing what they know to do. They're disobeying the Lord. They're disobeying the Word in some way. The Holy Spirit is convicting them, and they are not submitting to what the Lord is telling them. If you don't do what the Lord says, then you are not going to be blessed in your life. Amen? You're not going to have happiness in your life. You're not going to have the joy of the Lord. But he says in verse 17, now apply this, if ye know these things, happy are ye. Can you read this with me? Happy are ye if ye do them. So many times we put the emphasis on believing and not enough on 
the, on the faith, but not enough on the works, right? James says if you really have faith in your life, you're gonna do some things. We find that throughout the scriptures. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, amen, praise the Lord, I'm glad that you're saved, and that's, that is the most important decision that any of us have made or could make. But it doesn't just stop there. We need to be living a life of obedience to the Lord and living out our salvation. What the Lord has started on the inside should work its way out to the outside, amen? And we shouldn't just uh, suppress the work of the Lord. Uh, The Bible talks about in Galatians about the fruit of the Spirit, amen? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. There are so many things that we should be uh, exhibiting and showing that fruit should be there for people to to see and, and, and to know that this person's different because the Holy Spirit is doing a work in their life. And he says in verse 17, if you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. Verse 18, I speak not of you all, I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now if I tell you uh, before it come that when it is come to pass, he may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. Just in a few hours, Jesus is on his way to Calvary. He knows what's going to transpire what's going to take place and uh, he knows that he's going to be crucified he's under great pressure and duress and agony so much so that he's going to sweat as it were great uh, sweat drops of blood he's washing the disciples feet he's loving them all the way through uh, this process I do not believe at all that Jesus is, um, that he is uh, grudgingly, uh, he's begrudgingly doing this task. I don't believe that at all that he's complaining about what he is doing. I believe that he is joyfully uh, setting this example for his disciples. We see that in Mark chapter 10, if you would go back there, Mark chapter 10 and verse number 43. We read 45, but let's read the context. Jesus, we see his counterintuitive teaching. What does that mean? That means that it doesn't make sense to our flesh. It doesn't make sense to our human reasoning. But a lot of things don't when it comes to the Bible. But God's word is always right. And God's word, it it cuts against the grain of what we feel is right many times. But who do we follow? Do we follow the flesh? Do we sow to the flesh or do we sow to the spirit? Well, we're going to listen to what the Bible says. Amen. That's why one of the reasons we come to church so that we can, we can hear truth and we can begin to apply that into our life. So counterintuitive teaching. Jesus has a lot of things that he teaches that goes against the grain. It goes against what we think is right. Mark 10, 43. We see what he says here. Uh, Mark 10, 43. See it? But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. In the context here, in verse number, um, uh, let's see, verse number uh, 41. Oh, 40, uh, verse 39. They said unto him, 
uh, Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the, uh, let's see, ye shall drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized with all shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give. The disciples came to him and said, uh, can we sit on your right hand or on your left hand in the kingdom? And, uh, and he said, that's not mine to give. But uh, he says in verse 41, when the 10 heard it, two of the disciples asked them, but the 10 heard it, they began much to be displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them unto him and saith unto them, ye know not, or ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall not be among you. See, this is, this is not how the Gentiles do it. Jesus says, I'm not going to do things the way the Gentiles do it. That's not how uh, God's kingdom works. He said, in God's kingdom, whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. The greatest people in God's kingdoms are those that serve, okay? What he means by minister, not, not the preacher. I know that many times we, we say, well, that's the minister, right? The pastor, he's the minister, did you know that all of God's people should be ministers? A minister is somebody who serves, right? A minister is somebody who attends to a need. And God has called us to be ministers, to attend to the needs of all that we encounter, especially in the church body. And so he says here that, <clears throat> uh, verse 43, it shall not be among you, but whosoever shall be great among you shall be your minister. And verse 44, whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. Number, uh, our, our point here, our main point here is Jesus counterintuitive teaching. He says, if you're going to be great, you're going to be the servant of all. If you're going to be great, you're going to be the minister. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, you have to become a servant. Jesus says that the way up is actually down. That goes against what we know, right? What we believe, what we see in the world. The world's understanding of leadership and authority is found in verse 42. I already read it. We'll read it again. Jesus called them, said unto them, you know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles, what do they do? What does the world do? What, how, how does the world's leadership uh, look like? What does that look like? What does the world's uh, understanding of authority look like? Jesus says, those that are ruling, they exercise lordship, and their great ones exercise authority. The world's understanding of leadership looks like this. Manipulation, control, right? Some individuals may uh, use manipulation tactics to achieve their own goals. You know people that try to manipulate you and uh, try to uh, get the edge on you, maybe. Uh, the world's understanding of leadership and authority is self-promotion. People often uh, begin to promote their image. They begin to push their career in some way. They highlight their accomplishments and their skills. You go on to, I always get the emails from the different uh, social media sites, but one of them is, what is that, LinkedIn? Is it LinkedIn? 
Is that, is that the career one? And uh, constantly getting those emails from LinkedIn. And uh, probably everyone in this room has some kind of a, a profile on LinkedIn. I don't know how it happened, but somehow I have a profile on there and uh, has all of my accomplishments. You know, I know how to use, uh, um, you know, Word, Microsoft Word, proficient. No, not really. And, uh, you know, all of those dumb little things that you'll see on there. But um, people begin to self-promote. They highlight their accomplishments, their skills, their qualifications. Uh, and that's not always wrong when you are seeking an opportunity to serve or to work in some place. You want to let people know this is what I'm capable of doing. But the world, many times, uh, they use it in a way to just gain recognition or to advance themselves beyond. Uh, and many times they begin to lie about their um, resume. According to a recent study in the Business Insider, I found this, 72%. Of course, there's been all kinds of um, uh, studies done on this, but I've, I've found different statistics. But here's the one from the Business Insider. 72% of people surveyed said that they lied on their resumes. That means there may be some in here that have, uh, you know, been a little bit um, liberal on that resume. And sometimes we say things that are not true, right? May we not do that. In God's kingdom, the way to be a success, the way up is down. See, how did Jesus successfully become the savior of our world? He had to come down to us. And it wasn't just enough for him to become a man. He humbled himself to become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. See? The world's understanding of leadership is to network for personal gain. Nothing wrong with making friends, but sometimes people begin to make those connections thinking of maybe a career advancement, an opportunity for promotion. They begin to engage in superficial relationships solely for their own benefit. The way up for some people is to take credit for other people's work. <laughs> I've heard of people, I've seen examples of this, where s some boss uh, takes all the credit for the work that was done, maybe. You know, all the, the people that were under them did a lot of work, and the boss didn't even do anything other than be the boss, and I know that's a tough job, some of you bosses out there. That is a tough job to manage people and to uh, take that leadership and authority and to keep everyone going in the same direction. But I've seen some, some horrible examples of people just, you know, just taking credit for others' uh, work so that they can advance and, and uh, push their career and step over people. That's another thing that people do. And in competitive uh, workplaces, people are stepping on one another, um, engaging in the office politics, spreading rumors. They call that career sabotage, right? You've probably heard of that. People begin to, to start that rumor mill and try to tear people down. Some of you, of course, know by now I'm in the police academy. I finished nine weeks and um, about a third of the way through. 
But even something this week, somebody made a major mistake. One of our recruits made a major mistake. It's an honest mistake. Something happened. And um, I begin to watch what some of the other recruits did. Some people came together, which is what you want to happen. I shared a Bible verse on the group text. You know, there's 60 people here, and so I send a, a Bible verse. He that is without sin cast the first stone, you know? And it, by the way, it wasn't me that made the mistake. I mean, <laughs> but um, if it was me, I'd just shut up and not say anything. But I was watching one of my friends, one of these other guys in the, in the recruit class. He made a mistake. Could it have been really, really, really bad and had some, just, it could have been bad, but... Nothing, nothing happened. Nobody got hurt. He paid for what he did. He was punished. Other people were punished. There were uh, people in the department that weren't even recruits that got punished too. It was pretty scary. But he made a mistake. He still, he didn't get kicked out. He's still there. But I watched as other recruits came together and then there were some that were, you know, you know putting him down. I'm like, what, why are we tearing down one another here? Anybody could have made that same exact mistake. Got to be careful about that. But I, watching as people begin to undermine and begin to elevate themselves, you know what I think? They know that they're not, they know that that person is probably uh, more qualified than they are, so they're using this as an opportunity to push their, advance themselves over that person. Not to become too, uh, speculative of what their motivations were but i'm telling you you know how this works you've seen how people begin to kick someone when they're down why wouldn't we try to help somebody when they're hurting but that's how the world works isn't it god says don't do that the way up is to begin to serve so we see uh, not only the world's understanding of leadership, but we see Jesus' redefinition of greatness through servanthood. The way up is down, embracing humility and selflessness. The servant's heart is the key to true greatness. I've alluded to this, but I'll read it for you. Philippians 2, if you want to turn there, you can, or mark it down. Sorry, I don't have notes for you today. Philippians 2, 5, verses 5 through 11. Paul writes here, and this is a wonderful passage. It's all good, as I've heard it said before. It's all good, but I like this passage too. This is really good. Philippians 2, 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Okay, so he sets up what he's about to say with this phrase. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So what kind of mind was in Christ? He says, verse 6, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. Isn't that a key word for what we're discussing today? Again, the theme is found throughout Scripture. Serving and giving and humbling oneself. The way up is down. He made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. 
And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, he was already humble. <laughs> he became a man. And then he said, uh, I'm going to humble myself even more. And as a man, he became the lowest that you could be, and that is to choose to die for someone else. The greatest act of love, greater love hath no man than this, than that a man lay down his life for his friends. That's a great verse, isn't it? Speaking of Jesus, the greatest friend that anybody could have. I know that our dogs are good friends, aren't they? Man's best friend. But a dog who is loyal and faithful and is there, sticks with you through thick and thin, well, that's tough when they, when they um, pass on because, you know, they would have been there for you. And sometimes we have to bury that precious pet. And for you might be your cat, okay? Or a gerbil or a snake, hopefully not a snake. I hear of anyone in here with a snake. You better not bring that thing to church. I tell you what, you better not bring that snake to church. We've had people that have brought their, their um, macaws to church for our pirates, uh, VBS, and different things like that, or the jungle. You know, don't bring a snake to church, okay? And, um, but more than, more than a, a man's best friend, we think of the Son of God, Jesus greater love have no man than this than that man laid down his life for his friends uh, at the police academy on Titonia they have this big wall mural of every a picture and a, a citation of every officer in Milwaukee that has died in the line of duty and at the bottom it says greater love hath no man than this than a man laid down his life for his friends and it's so cool I get to see that every day it's like wow that's, that's great see the bible verse there but it says there in Philippians 2, verse number, uh, we are in verse 8. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the, do you know the next word? The cross, right? I mean, verse 9. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name. See, this is what happens. The way up <laughs> is found on the way down. Amen? Wherefore, God hath highly, also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I love those two verses, you know, Philippians 2, 10, and 11. Those verses probably can't be read enough or repeated enough because you think about this, Satan himself, everybody will have to bow the knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. My friend, it's not bad to be made low. It's good to be made low. The title of my message today, it's part three of I'm Not Ashamed. Part three, not ashamed to serve others. So many times we give into this worldly concept that it's wrong to serve others. 
I, I mean, we will give lip service to that, but you know, it, it goes against the grain. It goes against the world's philosophy to put others first. As they say, nice guys finish last, right? I, you, you're not gonna get anywhere by putting other people first. But it's not bad to be made low. It's good to be made low. So we see letter C, Jesus' examples of leadership. Mark 10, 45 there, you see it? For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. A ransom for many. What does that mean? That means that he put himself in our shoes. He exchanged places with us. He was our ransom payment. His gift on the cross. Uh, number three today. Uh, well, let us see. Number one, we'll go under there, under that point. Jesus' purpose to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Number two, the ultimate act of humility and sacrificial love. We see that in Jesus' life. Number three today, uh, point three, embracing the way up is down. We need to embrace this. Letter A, surrendering our ambitions for greatness to God's, to God, to do God's will. Surrendering our ambitions for greatness to God's will. We need to let go of self-promotion and self-seeking. Put your life and your plans in God's hands. That is hard to do, isn't it? Because it means we have to let go of something so important. That is our will. That is, what, that, that is our will. That's our, um, what we believe is right, what we feel is right many times. But let go of that and give it to the Lord. Let go of self-promotion, self-seeking. Put your life and your plans in God's hands. Number two, trust in God's plan and timing. Trust in God's plan and timing. How are we going to uh, begin to act and to live out this servant lifestyle? How are we going to do this? How are we going to cultivate the servant's heart in our daily lives? Number one, we need to seek opportunities to serve others with love and humility. How are we going to do that? Some people are gifted. There are some people that are gifted with this uh, ability to see the needs of other people. There are some people that they just automatically, they know somebody is in, in trouble, they know somebody has a need, and they begin to seek out ways to help them. But for many people, that is not natural. Sometimes we could, we, we would, uh, we could see something going on and really just totally miss what, what actually is happening. We could, we could be uh, right next door to somebody's house burning down, not even know it, right? You know, we just, uh, somebody's going through a crisis and we're missing it. And I'm not saying that that's always because we're just focused on self, but we need to begin to observe those around us. God has put you in the path of other people on purpose. 
And God has put those people in your life on purpose, okay? That's kind of saying the same thing, but looking at it from two different angles. God has given us opportunities to serve others, but we need to be observant. We need to pay attention to the people around us and their needs. We need to notice when science observe when people are, are hurting, when they need our help, when they need our, our, our support. Sometimes people may not ask for help. In fact, some of the people that I've noticed that are in the greatest need rarely ask for help. <laughs> Sometimes we're so uh, jaded and, you know, we, we can become very cynical because of how many people ask us who we know are not really in need. We begin to avoid needs. We begin to say, ah, that person is, you know, they're not really homeless or they're not really in need. They're just going to use that for their addiction or whatever. And we begin to avoid, and, and, and we need to use godly wisdom. Of course, we're putting together the homeless care packages and all those things to help people. But sometimes we begin to become desensitized to the needs of those around us. And we begin to avoid. God has put some people in your life that he has called us to serve. So be observant. Listen also. When we engage in conversations with others, we need to make a conscious effort to actively listen and to show genuine interest. There's nothing more annoying than talking to somebody who responds with something that's completely off the wall because they haven't been listening to what you've been telling them. Or they try to answer you or finish your sentence and so on and so forth. Sometimes we do that and sometimes people do that to us. But let us begin to listen to the people in our life. Listen to your children or your children will go find somebody else to talk to. Listen to your spouse. Listen to the people in the pew next to you. Listen to your friends. Um, active listening. It demonstrates that we value the other person's thoughts and their feelings. We need to seek out opportunities to serve others with love and humility, to mirror the um, servant role that Christ took upon himself. Find joy in serving others. Know the song, there's joy in serving Jesus, amen? But think about the people that Jesus loves and serve them as well. Um, empathize. Learn to put yourself in other people's shoes. Galatians 5.13. <clears throat> for brethren, and Paul says here, for brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Praise God for the liberty that we have in Christ to make choices, to have uh, freedom, to have the freedom to choose to love God. Amen? We're not robots. Uh, some people might think, well, why didn't God just make everyone automatically love him? <laughs> because that would not be love. It would not be a choice. Agape love is, by definition, a choice. When we say, for God so loved the world, that word agape right there tells us there was a choice made. There was a choice made. It was not necessarily something that uh, in, in our life, when we practice that agape love, it may, it may not come from a natural inclination. Sometimes we, we might not, you know, when you have a family member, you have natural love for them, right? For the most part, right? Until they do something dumb. And then as a parent, you have natural love 
maternal love or paternal, however you want. You have that love for your child. But when it comes to agape love, that by definition is a choice. And sometimes it's us loving people in spite of what they have done or who they are. And when God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. But he chose to love us and he wants us, he has given us that ability to choose to love him and to serve him. So he didn't create us to be robots. He's called us also unto liberty after our salvation. Uh, Galatians 5.13, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty. He's saying don't use your liberty as a Christian for an occasion to the flesh. Just because you're saved and on your way to heaven is not an excuse to indulge in sin. Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Okay, so Galatians 5.13, he said, you've been called into liberty. Don't use your liberty as an occasion of the flesh, but by love serve one another. He's saying you get to choose to serve one another. God gives us a free will to do what we want in life. He doesn't force us one way or another. Instead, he gives us the choice to act selfish, selfishly or selflessly, which is sometimes it's easier to be selfish, isn't it? But when we serve others, it gives us that opportunity to humble ourselves, And it reminds us that, you know what? There's a much bigger plan out there. God has something much bigger than any one of us. That his kingdom, it, it, the purpose behind our existence even, and the purpose behind his kingdom is far greater than any one person. And we begin to realize that our life and our world does not really revolve around us. And you know what? You might be saying, well, I don't like that. I, I know everything. Everything revolves around me. If you live like that, guess what? You are an unhappy person. I guarantee you are an unhappy person. If your life revolves around you and what you want to do and your interests and everyone is at your beck and call and everyone's existence is to serve you and to please you, you are an unhappy person. But when you begin to realize that the way up is down and you begin to serve others and put other people first, guess what? There's freedom in that. There's blessing in that. It reminds us that there's a bigger world out there than any one of us. A man was driving his car when he saw an old lady stranded on the side of the road. And I wouldn't have said old lady, but that's how the story goes. I don't think there's any such thing as an old lady. But he saw that she needed some help. So he stopped his Pontiac near her Mercedes, and he got out, and this lady was nervous. Nobody had showed up for hours. And she was, she was nervous about this young, young man coming up to her car because he looked kind of disheveled. He didn't look safe. He was poor and shabby looking. But he could see how frightened she was. So he tried to calm her. He said, I'm here to help you. Don't worry. By the way, if he said, I'm from the government and I'm here to help her, I think she would have had a, a reason to be afraid, right? You know, don't trust anyone that says that. You should be worried. But he said, no, I'm here to help you, ma'am. Don't worry. My name is Brian Anderson. He said, I'm Brian Anderson. The tire was flat, so he had to crawl under the uh, car, get, get everything uh, situated. He got dirty. His hands got hurt. 
When the job was done, she asked how much she owed him for his help. And Brian smiled and he said, well, if you really want to pay me back, he said, the next time you see someone who needs help, give that person the needed assistance and think of me when you do it. That same evening, the lady in the Mercedes, she stopped by a small cafe. The place was kind of dingy, but it was a place to eat. She was hungry. She saw a waitress who was nearly eight months pregnant. She was wiping her wet hair with a towel, and the waitress had a sweet and friendly smile. She spent the whole day on her feet, eight months pregnant. And um, the lady wondered how someone who, was, who has so little can be so kind and giving to a stranger Someone she had never met before. You know, this lady comes in. Here she is, eight months pregnant, tired. She's kind. And the Mercedes, the lady that drove the Mercedes, she, she remembered Brian, who had helped her out with that flat tire. And, and the lady had finished her meal, and she paid the waitress with a $100 bill. And... Um, and this was many years ago when $100 was $100. You know, I'm just kidding. But um, the, wait, the waitress went to get change, and when she came back, the lady was gone. And uh, the waitress found a note on the napkin that says, you don't owe me anything. Somebody once helped me just like now I'm helping you. If you really want to pay me back, don't let this chain of love end with you. The waitress not only had all of the change, she found four more $100 bills underneath that napkin. That night, the waitress came home early, and um, she was thinking about the lady and the money she left, and she was wondering how, how the lady could know how much she and her husband needed the money, especially now when the baby was going to arrive soon. And so she, she knew that her husband worried a lot about the finances, and so she was glad to tell him some good news for once. And uh, she kissed him and whispered, now everything's going to be all right. She said, I love you, Brian Anderson. So in that story, it came full circle very quickly. But do you know that many times we live our lives focused on what we can get rather than what Jesus says, serve one another. Serve one another. When we begin to love people more than we love ourselves, we begin to love Jesus more than we love ourselves, God has a way of meeting our needs and taking care of the things that matter to us. I love what Pastor John Wilkerson says about missions, and I guess this could apply to a lot of other things in our life, but he says, and I believe this to be true, when you get a heart for God's big world, he begins to take care of your little world. I want to invite each of you to consider how you can practically live out Jesus' call to serve one another. Can you examine your heart today? Maybe take some time to reflect on your motivations. Why? Ask yourself, why do I do what I do? Is my ambition really rooted in pleasing God? Is my motivation to serve others, or am I driven by a desire to serve and uplift and to put myself first? 
Am I being selfish? Is there something in my life that is hindering me from doing what God wants me to do and serving others and serving him and putting him first? Not only examine your heart, but identify maybe some tangible ways in your life, opportunities for you to be able to implement God's love and to implement uh, serving somebody in uh, in your life. Somebody that God has put into your life, somebody within your church community, somebody in your home, somebody in your uh, neighborhood, somebody in your workplace, somebody that, that is overlooked, somebody that's in need, somebody that God has said, you know what, that person is who I called you to serve. Then also embrace humility. Serving others requires us to be humble because if we're gonna do this in the right motivation, if we're gonna do things for the right reason, it's gonna require us to uh, swallow the pill, if you will, and just say, I'm gonna be humble. I'm gonna serve other people. I'm gonna put their needs ahead of mine. I'm not gonna uh, live for my own agenda, my preferences, my pride. I'm gonna set that aside and let go because other people are hurting and other people have needs. We don't always need to get the recognition and the praise either because our ultimate reward comes from God. Don't worry about who's gonna keep score. So many times we're so worried about that. Oh, I'm not gonna get credit because nobody saw what I did. Well, guess what? The only person that matters saw what you did. It's hard to do this. It is so hard to do this because this goes against everything that's in our human nature. But God will keep the score. He is keeping the score. When it comes to even vengeance, remember what the Bible says? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Don't worry about how it rains on the just and the unjust. Don't worry about those things. God's keeping score of everything. So let us not be ashamed to serve one another, knowing that through our acts of love and selflessness, we reflect the very nature of Jesus. See, that's what Jesus did. He served his disciples. The people that were supposed to be serving him, in a sense, these are his students. But he's here washing their feet. We need to learn from his example. May God give us that power and that Uh, strength to be that instrument of love and grace in our homes, in our church, in our community, in our workplace. How hard is it sometimes, right? People act, as I say, people act the fool. You don't want to love that person. You know, they don't deserve it, but nobody deserves it. And if we're honest, we don't deserve it. So love people like Jesus loves you. Father, I do pray that you'd help us today as we end, uh, come to a close of a, a sermon, a time in your word, Lord, to reflect on the life of Christ. A time where we took to look at one of the most uh, prominent underlying themes of your word, that is to serve and to give. God, I pray that you'd help us to do something that's impossible in our flesh. Once again, God, we ask you for help and strength We ask you for grace, for supernatural enabling to do what only, only, the only way we can do this is that you do it through us. You have to do a work in us so you can do a work through us. So God, begin that work today. 
or continue the work wherever we're at, whatever our need is right now. I pray for each individual here. God, I do ask that you just bless this time of invitation. Help us to do what's right.